time to rejoin the conversation. Here we go. Normally, I'd say party politics, but today, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, his legacy, uh, how far we've come, and how far we got to go. So, of course, uh, today out there in podcast land, just so you know, we were we're recording on Martin Luther King Day, um, which is, of course, the reason that um, we want to talk about Martin Luther King, but. Um, something happened last week that made me think about Martin Luther King Day coming and uh, it made me think about how far we have to come. Um, I definitely don't want to spend uh, a ton of time talking about this in particular individual, but um, with, uh, with a certain someone saying phrases like uh, not letting immigrants in from uh, shithole countries and all of these shithole countries seem to be countries where black people come from. Uh, made me wonder, how far have we come? Even though I know we've come a long way. Uh, so I guess first, let's go around the table and just touch on maybe one or two things in your mind that are kind of touchstones of how far we've come. And then we'll go back around the table and talk about the other. Uh, you know what, we've been starting with Adrian. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep going. Yeah, I say we definitely have come a long way. I mean, I look at my, my grandmother, uh, 81 years old, live kicking. Southeast Georgia and may have a second grade education and you know to to be in a position to where you know we're being thankful I'm saying I'm thankful for being able to start my own organization and she can barely read um, you know in her lifetime to see the things that she's seen uh, I, I can't I, I have no complaints in comparison so we've, we've come a long way in that aspect yeah, yeah. brain mass uh, oh, that, I mean, that's a hard question to be from, I think, from my perspective. I mean, it's, it's hard to answer that when I think, I, you know, all I can think of is as a kid, um, growing up, I was, I, we never thought about, in my household, we never thought about race or the things that happen with that, which is not necessarily a good thing either, I don't think, meaning that, you know, it's important to talk about it. But it never made sense to me when people weren't treated all the same. And it just, it, and I think back on it now, I think that's, that's kind of, I mean, that, that is awesome, right? It's awesome to be in a house, household that is just, hey, I don't understand this. And, and like, why are people treated differently? And, and to me, I think that's a, a long way for my family to come because I've had, when I think back, one of my grandparents is, I mean, I'll be honest, it was racist, and it was like it, it, it clicked. Like when when you start to recognize those types of behaviors as you get older, you kind of look and see see almost a divide in your family. And it's like, hey, I only see these people when when it's uh, you know a family reunion every couple of years, and it's things like that where you think, 
I'm glad my immediate family has gotten away from that, and that's right. progress. Um, and it's an unfortunate truth that that I think a lot of times also society would rather ignore. That's definitely a tip of the hat to Mama Massey, because you know, coming up in a, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. One of my best friends met the anonymous female, and for the first time, and you know, and he was just like, I just, you know. His first, okay, so his first impression of Missouri, um, he came to visit me, and um, I've been here now 12 years, so it was first or second year, and um, probably first year. And this is when uh, the Empire Room was like still like kicking, right? And uh, so he's, trying to find a place to go. He's a super hip hop head. He wants to go out. I'm trying to tell him it really isn't that kind of town, but there's a couple of clubs you might like. And so he's looking, uh, he's looking at a pitch. He sees, oh, this Empire Room looks like this might be all right. And then he reads the following phrase. <laughs> yeah, I will never forget it because I was stunned. Uh, with its unabashed racial mingling was actually in the ad, in the pitch. <laughs> he actually cut that out. He still has it on his wall at home in Seattle, but he could not believe. So the next time he comes, he meets, you know, female. He's like, how did you grow up not racist? Because his first thought of Missouri is the ad, <laughs> the ad for the club. And, uh, and so, and, but it was the same thing. Like she grew up in a house where that just wasn't a thing. It was not a, a topic of discussion. They didn't talk about people one way or the other. You know, it wasn't even like we, they didn't talk about race. They just didn't talk about people in term, in those types of terms. And, um, and, and that is def definitely a testament when, you know, coming from, you know, families that, you know, it could have, you could have easily just to get along with the other side of the family. You could have, you know, gone along with whatever it is that they were talking about. But, but uh, you know, for that not to be a thing, I think it's pretty commendable. Okay. Yeah, I would have to probably agree with Brian on this in the sense that, in my experience, is relatively limited in this regard, mainly just because never thought about it, never had to think about it. It was never a topic of conversation. It wasn't something anybody ran around talking about when I was growing up, to be honest. But, I mean, I think you can certainly look historically at the things that were being fought for in the 60s and the things that are being fought for now. I mean, to go from a time where you couldn't vote, you couldn't buy a house, you couldn't do any number of things to going, well, I don't know that I want to show an ID when I vote. Those were very different things to be worried about. I mean, I'm not saying let's not care about the voter ID stuff. That, that's great if that's, because racism just shifts and so they just try new tricks every now and then. Right, but right, right. At least the tricks are becoming a lot smaller and dumber and you know, <laughs> there's, there's at least that going on. Like, so. Right, at least you can recognize it as a trick immediately. Right, and it's just the consequences of it are, way smaller than saying you just can't vote get out of here right, 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 you know right, right. so now I, I do like the fact that uh, 
now you're the asshole if you're racist, when back then that was just the norm. Right, <laughs> you right, know, right, so right. There, there's something positive in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big day. Well, you know, I, I think I have a different perspective than anybody else on the panel because I'm so much older. Yeah. And, and Brain Masters, Boss D.W. and I grew up in a town where in the courthouse there were still black and white fountains. Mm. So we come from that time growing up in northeast Missouri mm-hmm. where we had one black family in town and he worked at the paper. They were a nice family. They didn't have any problems by anybody. We had a university there where we did have, back in those days, we had a lot of Iranian students now. <laughs> we didn't like them that much, to be honest with you, and because they weren't a pleasant people to be around for the most part. Um, we found very few of them being accommodating to even carrying on a conversation with anybody. So we had a certain amount of prejudices there. So my point being is that we've come from that time where we had that in that microcosm of that town now where we have several black families. We have many black families that live there and come to a rather multiracial town because they have the university there. They also have a medical university there and A.T. Steele University. And it's just come a long way from that point. And that's what I've seen is that I look among my friends on how many of my friends are African-American and how successful they are and, and, and how far we've been able to come since those days in that they've been able to reach out and get their educations which is always difficult, especially if you go up in a public school to get a decent education and become successful people in America and be accepted widely just for the man, which is Dr. King's dream anyway, for the man or woman that they are, not because of their skin color. They're they're just a successful American. And I I think that impact on what we have going on is the most positive thing we have because you can look around and see a ton of that anymore. We have, there are are leaders in our government, there are leaders and CEOs of our companies, you know, and that's the most positive thing that that we've managed to get done. However, I do feel if Dr. King was sitting with us here today, I think he would have one comment. He would say, good God almighty, it's cold. I'm going back to Atlanta. (laughs) He may say just that. Because it is cold. (sighs) You know, I've been kind of chewing with this uh, particular question all day. Um, Because there are so many things that I think have uh, changed for the better. Um, You know, I think about, you know, my grandparents who grew up uh, in small town Mississippi um, uh, and uh, you know basically fled the south to come up north and uh, you know find good jobs my grandfather he you know became a cement finisher and you know he had his own had his own little little company doing that, Bacon and Sons, and uh, which is hilarious because I don't know if uh, any of 
any of my uncles actually worked there any length of time. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, g going from, you know, kind of just leaving the South to later in life, they want to buy a uh, three-flat apartment building, which actually my aunt still owns now, to, you know, and, and, you know, them, you know, having to, you know, in the South, having to, uh, you know, stop and say something polite and get out of the way and let, you know, white people walk past, to, uh, being able to be in traffic and, uh, and and honk and curse out the car next to you, and there's no reprisal for that, whether whether or not of your race, uh, we've come a long way. Long, come a long way, and uh, and and you know, and I am definitely proud of the strides we have made as a as a as a country as a whole. Now. Um, you actually, you brought it up as a joke, but I, I really was wrestling with this question kind of seriously. If Martin Luther King was still alive, what would he say about the America today? Two, would America look the way it looks today if he was still alive? Because I'm not 100% sure one way or the other if it would look differently. But let's say it doesn't look any different. He's still alive. What would he have to say about comments like these people from these shithole countries and, and, and all of the other myriads of, uh, of, of comments uh, and, uh, and, and slanders on our former president? And, uh, but the fact that a, you know, a black man rose to the highest office in the land you know, like how could he not be overjoyed with with that? Just just that alone. Black you know? woman who's Secretary of State. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is a, yeah, absolutely. We we've made tremendous steps in tremendous many strides. many ways like that. So, is there is there one thing that you think that uh, Dr. King would be like? What the <laughs> if he was still alive? Uh, I, I don't know if there's one specific thing he'd be you know up in arms about. I mean, I think. I, I'm a lot more optimistic about the future, and I think he would be too, considering how far we've come. And I mean, 50 years is not a very long time to come to where we're at now. Uh, so in 50 yeah, years, actually, I do. I actually agree. Yeah, just a little 50 years now, we got the right to vote, first black president. I mean, the, the celebrities. I mean, he was talking about successful people from from different backgrounds. Just. There's a lot more, even with the next, the upcoming generation, they're so colorblind, it's ridiculous now. So there's a lot more to be optimistic about. I think he'll still stick to maybe the, the generation in which he grew up that's still alive and is still pushing the agenda of, of race and, and being separate more so than anything else. And I think that's just a constant reminder of, and we need that reminder, um, just to where, how far we come and where our history kind of led us to, to this point and what made people become so so hell-bent on changing, making those kind of changes. Uh, the fear now, I wouldn't say it's the fear, but uh, the, the question is, do we have anybody that's willing, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, willing to step up and make those kind of stances consistently 
and be as be as dedicated to a cause. Uh, you know, we have the, the call of Kaepernick. You know, he took a knee, he lost his job, but you know, it's, it's still kind of quiet. What's yeah. you know, what's going on after the fact? So, who's the next person with these kind of injustices? Happen. I mean, who's the next person that, step, that steps up? Yeah, step. Yeah. What do you think, Brain Mass? I, I think that's. I mean, that's an awesome thing to think about. You know, who's going to be the next person, and who's it going to be for? Um, you know, hopefully it's just. It's no longer. Hopefully, we can get to a point someday where it's just about human rights. Um, it's just. It's really interesting, right? I mean, they're looking at. Uh, folks that are being deported that have been here. I just read one earlier today. This guy had lived here for 30 years, is married, and has kids. And they're like, "Yep, oh, he's deported today." And it, it made the the headline because of what today is. So um, it's just, you know, so we still have some ways to go. Um, it'd be interesting to hear what what he would have to say if he were sitting here, but I think uh, he would absolutely still be criticized by a portion of, of the population, which is something I think everyone should think about. O'Connor? This is a, this is a hard one for me, because um, I think back in the 60s, it would have been really easy to point to, I guess we call white society and go, Dude, stuff fucking with us. You know, right, like right. cut it out. Like really right. not voting, not buying a house. That's basic fundamental civil rights stuff. Now I feel like it's getting to the point or in danger of getting to the point where it's it's becoming mixed and people are looking for things mm. to be upset in in call racists that, that are not. And I think it's a kinda like the Me Too thing. It's it's almost getting to the point where it's starting to reverse back on itself. And people are like, this is getting a little silly. So, I mean, I, you can make the argument, and I'm all in favor of letting the DACA kids stay. I don't, I mean, you know, I'm a big believer in that, but the argument is about illegal immigration. They are here illegally. Nobody doubts that. You know, it's just a matter of should we let them stay or not. So it's, again, a lot of times with these crazy-ass white cops running around, well, nobody's denying the fact that a lot of times they're responding to actual crimes. It's just that they're overreacting to the crimes. So it, it's clouding an issue that's hard. And I also think one of the questions back is, white America generally thinks, well, we're, we're done with racism once you guys have completely assimilated into white America. You know, which I think is a very silly thing to do. How do you maintain African American culture, you know, and all those kinds of things and not separate out what the differences that make us better uh, and yet still have it be a harmonious kind of thing. That's gonna be the trick of where it goes next, I think. So, I mean, th just from what I know from, I mean, we struggled to name three famous people who weren't athletes a second ago. You know, and it's sad that we just had to name three people, uh, you know, to, to come up with. There yeah. should be, there's tons of people. Should be tons of people and should be a lot more. Mm -hmm. You know, but it still seems relegated to entertainment athletics and that's kind of where it's at. That's a cycle that has to break. And not all of that is just white people forcing that on there. Yeah. Some of that is an internal culture that you know celebrates those kinds of things. So I don't know. That's going to be the big challenge going forward. Yeah, I I I, I definitely see uh, 
merits in, in what you're saying because it's definitely yes you know uh, as 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 you know as as Kanye said on uh, one of his records you know racism still alive they just be concealing it you know it, it's still here you know but I do feel like sometimes people. You know, now a phrase I do hate, I hate the phrase playing the race card. Because generally, it's said to discredit people who probably are legitimately calling something racial that is. Mm -hmm. But I do think sometimes people call things racist that aren't racist, they're just, like you say, it's a, it's a structure that's set up that that does not favor black people. It wasn't necessarily racist when it was set up. It's just a structure that doesn't necessarily favor black people because of our population size. We're only 12, 13 percent of the population. If you, you know I mean, right. if you really think about it. So, um, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get to a point where people are saying, "Oh, you know, it's, it's you know that you know it's not racist." Yeah, sometimes it is. <laughs> But I definitely don't want to get to be at a place where we're nitpicking everything. You know, it's like somebody's somebody's an asshole to you. Oh, you're racist. They were an asshole. <laughs> like, let's just say what it was first. You know, did they did they call you a black son of a bitch, or did they just call you a son of a bitch? <laughs> because that's because those are two different things. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it kind of <laughs> big day. Well, I think you're right. I've, I, the word racist is a strong, strong term. And to bandy it about too recklessly can be very, very bad. Yeah. And, you know, we saw that in the last election when they really used that word too much. And it's just kind of like, Look, you know, like so. Exactly. I mean, I don't know if somebody's an asshole. Much. I don't know if they use it too much, though. I mean, honestly, because he because he keep proving that he's a racist. Well, it would be different if he's making his own case. Yeah, yeah, like well, he's making right. He's he's making his own. And I'm not talking about Trump so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I I'm, mean, not everybody. I'm talking about in general use when you're talking about general people. The the mainstream media, in particular. Loves to stir their, their shit, <coughs> and this and this is how they stir their shit. Sometimes they'd be able to get a reaction, be able to keep the twenty-four hour news cycle rolling. You know, they use things. Um, I, I'm going to go back to something. You know, I, I uh, the last uh, time we uh, had the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Um, podcast, uh -huh. I talked about the uh, you know, letters from the Birmingham jail, and I wonder how many young people have actually read that, uh, you know, yeah. where he had eight white clergy worried about that he was, you know, bringing forth a protest a little too strong. And I, I read an interesting article today, I was going to quote a couple things here, the, the right to protest for right, King maintained, is both a natural human right and a precious American inheritance. Because we are a free country, absolutely, and we do have to say that absolutely. the spirit of righteous resistance is among the virtues of American character. Yet, like other such quality, it loses its virtuous character when it is carried into the extreme. Those of our own day who feel themselves moved by this spirit would do well to learn this lesson from King's letter. Resistance loses its righteousness when it ceases to be governed by the virtues of moderation and prudence. 
So as we, I think if Dr. King was here today, he would not be happy with some of like what happened to Ferguson with the rioting and things. There's other ways to make your point. It needs to be done in a peaceful way. If you look back upon the upon the riots, and I'm riots not what the, the resistance and the protest that they had in Montgomery and their civil rights use, they did not get violent. They resist they were hit with water counts. They had dogs turned on them. They had unbelievable things and the people kept to their righteous protest for the virtue of what they knew that they needed equality regardless of who they were. That's a powerful thing and I, and I really think that overall message has been lost among a lot of people nowadays and we all know there's there, there's the husters out there they just like to stir the shit so they can can make their their their, their money off of it. Um, I'm not a friend of, of Al Sharpton or even Jesse Jackson in that way because they do or are able to come in and say, hey, I got a publicist company that can turn around and make this better. You know, if you, I'll make this go away if you turn around and use my company. That's not what Dr. King was looking for. And I think if he was still alive today, he would look at those people and say, this is not how you do things. I, I you know, and I've said this before and you guys know it, I think Dr. King was one of the top five people in America has, that has ever lived. I mean, he really, really, really understood what his purpose of, of trying to get equality and civil rights for people were, and he went about it in the right way. And I think that uh, I look at a lot of things and a lot of the protest movements nowadays, I, I, I don't think he'd be happy with them. I just can't see it. Well, I will say this, because um, you know, I was really, really listening to what you were just saying. And the only kind of counterpoint I'll have to to it is, uh, is uh, Dr. King himself uh, famously called riots the language of the unheard. Yes, he did. So that, that's in this article. Bob. So yeah, no, I don't think that once you know once again we're getting back to. You know everything being racist or everything. There are some situations that, without let me let me let me start it like this. I do agree that in Dr. King's era, peaceful protest was probably the most um, effective. Uh, tool of change. It was it was actually stunningly effective. Yeah, but I will but I will say this. Um, you know, and uh, and historically for America, some things can't change without without violent end. You know, we we would not we we would not have come out of slavery you know, with just the Emancipation Proclamation. We had to fight the Civil War. So sometimes a riot is the language of the unheard. Like it had, sometimes you have to violently demonstrate in order for people to realize, oh, oh, it's fucked up. Oh, I, I didn't, I, I misunderstood what you were saying. <laughs> you know, like, and that does not mean that I like violent protests. You know, I, uh, you know, you know, we always talk about at home, 
you know, we see the we see the riots and we see the 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 looting and the property destruction and we're just like, okay, I I don't I don't understand. Like I don't because you know because a lot of times you're burning down your own neighborhoods, but it's oftentimes if you go back to uh, the nineties and uh, ninety two in L A, you know. So not only were the cops in L.A. just over the top with their treatment of, you know, of the African-American constituents, but also the reason that they burned a lot of the stores was because they couldn't even go in the corner store in their own neighborhood without, you know, the Vietnamese or whoever owned it following them around the store, literally, uh, until they got their carton of milk and left. And after a while, um, I remember I remember this interview with Tupac, and um, he was saying, over time, the, the, the song gets stronger. So you start with, uh, you, get, you, get a, you get a homeless, hungry person, and they're walking past, this restaurant and they look inside and they just see a party and it's ridiculous and they're throwing food and he's outside starving and he goes and he knocks on the door very politely and you know and he says you know i am hungry please let me in and they're like man shut up you know and said so then the next time they come past the you know it's look i am hungry please let me in and he says, after five or six times, is you know, I'm kicking in the door and I'm picking a lock and I'm gonna smack somebody because after a while, you're obviously not being heard. So the song gets stronger, the song gets louder, the song gets more aggressive because you're not being heard. So there on certain levels I agree with, with what you're saying, but I never look at protesters who feel they have to go that far as they're wrong because if you've never been just walking to this to the corner store and the police throw you up against the wall and pat you down and uh you know what are you doing while you're out here um if that's never happened to you you don't fully understand these people's lives and even if it's happened to you once but you know, you know. I think most people at the table would think I'm probably one of the most affable people <laughs> you you might know. I've been thrown against the wall four or five times in my life for absolutely no reason. Walking to the corner store to get my grandfather a pack of Philip Morris Commanders, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, and I didn't have it bad. You know, like, I, you know, I, I, I'm from that area of town, but I personally didn't have it bad as half the kids that I knew. So, um, you know, so I, I understand it, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. And, uh, and so to me, it's all about finding the places of understanding so that we can we can get to the level where we're just talking about human and we're not talking about color. Because <clears throat> honestly, you know, um, 
in a in a thousand ways I'm over it. You know, like I want I don't want to I don't want to be talking about race. You know, I I, I want to be trying to figure out how to move forward in life and upward in life. And I don't I don't want race to be a part of that conversation. But as long as race is a part of that conversation, I also have to try and understand why it still is. You know. Well, I'll say this about my older generation. We, we thought that we had really made a lot of progress. And with, with all the things that happened in Ferguson and Baltimore, we're, we're somewhat confused. As I talk among my contemporaries, my white contemporaries, we're going, what happened? We, we thought that, you know, we, we've been accepting of this. And when we're an older generation because we, we came from under what Jim Crow was. We knew what it was. We saw what it was. And we've seen the progress that we made. And, and we're going, what's happening? Why, why do we feel like it's regressing again? We, we're having some trouble understanding this, quite frankly, because we're going, you know, we, we've accepted this. We're cool with it. And we don't understand, you know, why, why it's, it's kind of being even thrown back on us somewhat. We're, we're going, I don't get this. And, 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 I'm, and I'm serious about this is almost all of my contemporaries. I think the real problem we're, is... We're really struggling with this yeah, in, in, no, our, in I, our minds. I get that. It's, I get it's, that. it's very distressing to us. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is, like, like, like so everybody out there in podcast land, just so you know, this is a, a, a intergenerational, uh, interracial, uh, intergender, usually, roundtable. Um... And the thing that I still struggle with is why is why is that rare? <laughs> you know that shouldn't be not not in not in 2018. But I think what happens is, or what had happened was, um, people didn't stop feeling the way they were feeling; they just stopped saying it. And somehow or another, uh, especially with. Um, Having uh, having a black president in office for for eight years, everybody that stopped saying how they felt felt like they needed to start saying how they felt again, which of course kicked up the counter, you know. And uh, and so I'm a firm believer that uh, you know that you know that. You know that wild animals are the most ferocious right before they die. <laughs> you know because you know they're they're fighting for that last bit of life, last bit of oxygen, and I think that's what what the kind of racist factions in this country are doing now. At least that's what I really want to believe. But but there's such a minority anymore, really, compared to what they used to be. I really believe and, that. And, well, I, I, I thought I, I believed that. I still believe I'm that. I'm not 100% sure if I, if I, still, I fully believe it. I still believe that. You know, it, it's just that the media loves to grab them and, and throw them out like they're the main part of the population. And, and, well, I, and I don't think they're the main part of the population, but and, I, and I think they like, may really? be larger than we want 
to believe that they are. I don't as, think they are. I, I don't think they are. Oh, well, Charlottesville said that it's probably a lot more than we thought previously. Because we all thought, I guess we all were thinking the same thing. Like, oh, okay, this is not as bad as it once was. Has it come a long way? Absolutely. But then you see some 20-something-year-old kid with a tiki torch. And they feel okay to speak that way. Yeah. So yeah. It's part of the problem. That's where it got confusing to us because we were like, oh, well, we thought we were thinking the same thing. We knew it was still not like an equal playing field. But yeah, then we just, when we over all this, you know, the burning torches or carrying, you know, uh, these kind of protests. You know, I mean, right, right. One groups they're protesting because people are dying in the streets unjustly. You know, unarmed. Go to they, the system says that you know this according to where we see it, this guy should be arrested. Blah blah blah. And um, it's, they people just feel they're not getting their due justice, and so it starts off peacefully, like Mario was saying, and then it starts off, and then well, it ends very unpeacefully after. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. I've seen it over and over and over. That was something that was already existing that we thought we got rid of. Yeah. But, oh. Well, I'll say this. You know, I lived down southeast Texas for a while in the late seventies, and that was KKK down there. And I would have to say there probably still is that faction there. Absolutely. You know, um, they were a strong presence. Uh, I would like to think that hopefully they're not as strong as they used to be. Yeah. Uh, I think the world's evolved a little bit more. But, I mean, we all knew down there, and of course, you guys all know my story, I got I got beat pretty severely by the cops. You know, by, sheriff, by sheriff's deputies, but, you know, it, 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 they don't like you down there, they have their own ways. And it was not a pretty picture. And, yeah, I tell you, you know, as, you far, know, as, far, as far as like KKK, you know, you know, I grew up in Chicago, and uh, you know, of course, I didn't run into many KKKs, but there was a lot of of talk about you know, don't get caught out there bad too far into Indiana, because Muncie, Indiana, is one of the most uh, active KKK, um, uh, you know, you know, regimes in the country. You know, and you know, I was actually looking at a thing today, they said when they first were starting the KKK in Muncie, they said they were signing up people so fast that they they ran out of robes four times, <laughs> just trying to get people robes to be to be a part of. So they were just putting on like just a little mask over their eyes because that's all they could, <laughs> could get them because they were signing people up so fast. And uh, of, of course, we're, we're talking about the, we're talking about the 50s and 60s, but, but you know, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is there are pockets of the country, south and north, that it's you know it's it it's very real to be anything other than a white person. So you have to be you know on your square all the time, and um, you know and and it and it and it bothers me that uh, in my lifetime it was hey. Don't get caught out there too bad in Indiana because it's, you know. But But you know what racism is? It's ignorance. Absolutely. That's what racism is. It's ignorance. Absolutely. And and there's no excuse for ignorance. Absolutely. If you are a narrow-minded fool, there's no reason 
to, to be that way. If you can't turn around and take another man or woman for their face value, if you don't like them, you don't like them for their face value, not due to the color of their skin. I fully, I fully agree. Uh, I will say this before uh, I end this segment. Um, there was a, there was a quote by Dr. King that I saw today that I thought was um, really good, and I really wanted to cap off this show because, like I say, I think we could talk for a long time about this subject, but. It's really cold. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I said Dr. King went back to Atlanta already. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the quote is, uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can. Um, um, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So. Can I have one more thing? Sure. Podcast land. Go read Dr. King. Absolutely. Go read Dr. Yeah, my, King's yeah. we, we, we can only uh, we can only give a, a, you will learn from him a, yeah, we can only give a glimmer to his words up here but yeah go and go and read some of the speeches of, uh, of the great Dr. King and 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 learn what it is to love even when it doesn't seem like you're being loved because well uh, with all that We'll be right back. Hey, you having a good time? Let me introduce you to a couple of my media brothers. First, www.americathemixtape.com. A cipher on American politics, society, and culture. And where'd I get that mixtape? Of course, www.cornerbodega.us. Purveyors of urban culture. Come on, let's get back to the party. All right, and we are back. And before we get out of here, let's talk about today's sugar, honey, iced tea. And for those that don't know, these are things that I or a member of the group have found that are really cool, AKA the shit. And today, uh, we've got uh, one big uh, sugar, honey, iced tea, and that is remembering your mistakes. Uh, You know, for those out there in podcast land that are history buffs, it says, you know, that old saying is, um, you know, if you, you know, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I always like to think if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're doomed to make them again. Um, so on this Martin Luther King Day, um, I just want to say that um, everybody out there in podcast land and uh, all of America, um, you know, we have been down this road before. You know, let us strive uh, for light and love, and remember the mistakes of of darkness and hate, so that we don't repeat any of these mistakes again. Because um, I personally uh, feel that I am have benefited and and am enriched by friendships that you know go across age lines they go across color lines they go across gender lines and I have learned from and hopefully uh, teach things just through my manner 
um, to all of those people as well. And with that, I'm going to end this podcast in a way I end all podcasts. And that is to good times with good people. Mario, it's one of the most profound things you ever said. <laughs>